Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us today on another edition of the world's leading transit executive interview podcast. And today we've got a great interview for you with Alex Wiggins. Alex is CEO of the Regional Transit Authority of New Orleans, Louisiana, one of the most storied cities in America. Alex has a long and storied career himself working in many great transit systems, and he takes us along that career journey, as well as a look at what they're doing now coming out of COVID in New Orleans, what the future holds, some of their new microtransit projects, and taking a look at right-sizing the service and the fares. He'll tell you all about it on this edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. And today we're excited to have with us Alex Wiggins. Alex is a longtime leader in the transit industry here in the United States and he currently is Chief Executive Officer of the Regional Transit Authority of New Orleans. Alex, welcome, and thank you for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for having me. Real uh, pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, we've been trying to put this together for a few months, and glad we got it together for January. Uh, Absolutely. I really appreciate you for uh, keeping that fire going, because I've been following you, and I see you've got uh, a great audience. I think you've been interviewing some of the industry's top leaders, and so I'm just honored to be part of the conversation. That's great. Yeah, you and I are good friends also with Bacara, who worked with you for a while. Now she's over there in Savannah. So uh, you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah. already churning out leaders, man. Not <laughs> the credit for that one. <laughs> so uh, I guess before we get into what you're doing in New Orleans, you've got such a great background, Alex, in the industry. Tell me some about, and our, our uh, listeners, some about what you've done over your, in- over your industry career. I've been really fortunate uh, to work for some of the best leaders in the industry, and I really have to go back to my early days. My first job was at Sound Transit in Seattle, Washington, working on the Central Link Light Rail project, and uh, Joni Earl was the CEO there, and I had a chance to watch her do her thing. From there, I went to work for Grace Frenneken at the Seattle DLT. Oh, wow. Of course, Grace recently yeah. retired as the GM at BART in, in the Bay Area. I worked for uh, Matt Tucker out in North County Transit. And then, of course, most recently for Phil Washington at LA Metro. And and, and I think I've been really blessed to train under such such visionary leaders. And the one uh, takeaway I took from all of them is they really own the transit service. They own and take responsibility for on-time performance and for the quality of the service. They don't really manage from on high they actually get out, interact with customers and staff. And that's really become the, the anchor of how I approach my, my jobs in transit. I've had a chance to work everything from community relations to I've been a deputy CEO and executive ED. I've worked in law enforcement in transit. And I just feel that this industry has so much to offer. And I'm glad I've been a, a part of it for the last almost two decades now. Yeah, that's great. And so tell us about your role there in New Orleans You've been there for a little over a year and a half, right? Yeah, it's, it's actually just over 18 months. Started in July of 2019, where I came on board as the CEO here. And we're doing some exciting things here in New Orleans. One, we're really beginning to invest in the employee and invest in the customer. And to just pay attention to those bottom line issues. 
on-time performance and how well do we take care of our staff. And so, and that's part of the reason that we decided to change our model is I really found that there was an incredible need just to really grow transit talent in New Orleans, in particular, the management and technical expertise and have that really be local to the agency. A lot of folks don't know, but uh, they'll know now. I was actually born in New Orleans, grew up here. My father was a military guy, so we ended up out in Camp Pendleton, California, but my origins are here. And so I'm very fortunate to be a CEO who actually gets to work directly for his community every day. And we're doing some exciting things here. That's good. So, I mean, New Orleans has really been shaped, right, by the hurricane, Katrina, and all the stuff that happened from that. Hasn't that really kind of adjusted the whole city some? It has, absolutely. Of course, Katrina was a devastating natural event that unfortunately changed the city quite a bit. New Orleans is also a resilient town. It bounces back from adversity and and has recovered quite well. There's an excellent administration in place, both at the state level and at the local level, that really help us get our job done in transit. And so now, when you think of New Orleans, folks often think of us in recovery mode, but we're actually now starting to really prosper. And in transit, we're looking beyond just providing basic transit service. And now we're looking at investing in the infrastructure. We're looking at new technologies, beginning to pilot programs like mobility on demand, and really focusing on equity. How do we, as a transit agency, provide equitable service across the entire region? Because one of the uh, fallouts from Katrina was there is some criticism about the city was to a certain extent gentrified and the local population may not have benefited from some of the advancements. And so as a transit agency, we're very mindful of that and want to make sure that everything we do includes every member of this community. That's great. So tell us some about the scope of what the service is. How many buses, how many employees, budget, that kind of stuff. Give us a... Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're a multimodal agency. We operate uh, both bus and paratransit. We operate a maritime, we have a great maritime operation, a ferry system where we operate two lines there. And of course, everyone knows we have the countries, if not the world, I have to have to verify this fact, um, oldest, most continuously operating streetcar system and network that goes back, that dates back to the 1830s. And wow. uh, we have cars in our streetcar system that, that we use today that were built in the 1920s. And so New Orleans is pretty unique in that regard where we have multiple modes and we have a very talented technical and maintenance staff that maintains our streetcar fleet. These folks are, they're truly artists. Yes, they're technical, but they are artists that actually build these cars from the ground up. So every car is built from the chassis up right here in New Orleans. It's maintained. Parts are fabricated uh, right here. So very technically talented staff. Now, our fleet definitely has changed uh, after Katrina. We were operating nearly a 500 bus system prior to Katrina. Now, believe it or not, we have about 150 uh, buses on our system with about 34 different routes. And so in order for us to meet the mobility needs of the region, we're looking to make some investments there. So we've had great partners at the FTA helping us to slowly rebuild this, this bus fleet in particular to really transport our, our passengers to where we they want to go. And then we're also partnering with the Regional Planning Commission to effectively increase mobility um, frequency across the entire region with a plan called New Links. And what it's designed to do is work with our agency, RTA, and then of course our neighbor 
at Jefferson Parish and actually develop a seamless, efficient uh, bus system where, again, we can transport our passengers efficiently across the region. So a lot, a lot happening right now. That's uh, pretty positive. So you've got 150 buses in fixed route. and But I imagine... What's the population now? Do you know of New Orleans? I mean, it shrunk some after Katrina, right? Yeah, it's under a million now. It's okay. under a million now. And so that has really um, impacted ridership. Yeah. And so we are in, in some ways kind of fortunate because we don't have the technically demanding transit modes right now. We're, we're looking long-term at light rail. We're looking long-term at commuter rail. But our system is really a bread and butter bus streetcar and ferry system okay. that the population relies upon pretty heavily. But no doubt about it, we're not operating at the level that the public needs us. We're not operating okay. at a frequency that the public needs us. And so I, what I hope to be able to achieve here is to build the kind of mobility and the kind of frequencies that actually better connect our customers to school, to work, et cetera, at a frequency that they can live with. In some cases, we're running 30-minute headways. And and in my transit career, having worked in Seattle and Chicago and, and of course, Denver and some other folks, places in L.A., you know, if, if your frequency is greater than 10 minutes, your, your customers are looking for other options. That's right. So yeah. we're really having to pay close attention to that here in New Orleans to deliver both the mobility option and the frequency that meets the customer's need. How about paratransit? What are you doing there? On the paratransit side, we have uh, a pretty you know he- a hefty fleet there. We've got about 40 vehicles in our paratransit fleet. And we're starting a pilot right now where we're going to begin to use the new mobility on demand technology to schedule some of our paratransit trips. And I'm really looking at that as a pilot for our entire operation so we can offer those on-demand um, transit services, especially during the off-peak hours in those neighborhoods that, that, that need, the, need the option. And so paratransit is a good, uh, robust department. And we're really unique in the regard that we brought paratransit in-house as well. We're not contracting that out for, for the time being uh, because we really want to invest in training staff and making sure that our, our service meets the need of the customer. That's great. Yeah, microtransit's really becoming, I mean, it was hot before COVID, but now that people have reduced their routes to meet the, what the demand is now, they have found that there are pockets of areas where they still need some service, but there's maybe not enough demand to require a regular fixed route. Is that what you're finding? And so you it, want to use microtransit to kind of fix that's that? That's exactly it. I mean, that's yeah. exactly it. I mean, commuting into the office, you know, in the post-COVID world just isn't happening at the levels it was before. And we have two distinct neighborhoods here in Louis- in New Orleans that are right for, for mobility on demand or microtransit. One is the New Orleans East neighborhood, and then the Algiers, West Bay community, where I grew up, absolutely right. Because during the off-peak hours, there's a tremendous need for our passengers to circulate within the neighborhoods and go and travel to destinations, grocery store, et cetera, et cetera. But they may not all be coming into the central business district. Right. So we're looking at that. We're starting with a pilot on the paratransit side, but I'm very optimistic that we'll find that it's a, it's a, a tool that will appeal to our customers. And now tell us a little bit about the structure of your agency. As a, are you a standalone agency? Do you work with the city? The kind of inside baseball stuff that our that our listeners love to hear who all work yeah. in the industry. Yeah, we're, like most transit agencies across the country, we're actually a subdivision of the state. So we're a state-level agency independent of the cities and parishes where, where we operate. And, and, and I'm actually having to educate my, my, my counterparts and my, my colleagues 
and, and, and local government that, no, we're not a city department. No, we're not yeah. a county. We're not a parish agency. We work independently, but we want to work with the city as much as possible. And I'm just very lucky to have a very strong working relationship with the current mayor and her team. It's just been seamless. And so while we're budgeting and functioning separately, we work very closely to coordinate. And who's the mayor there now? Oh, LaToya Cantrell. And been in office for a couple of years now and is really focused on, again, delivering for taxpayers in New Orleans. And so our missions are absolutely complementary. And she's been fantastic to work with. That's great. Do they provide funding for you? No. (laughs) No. Like me in Baltimore, where Baltimore (laughs) didn't give us any money at the MTA. Yeah. Exactly. Our, right now, we generate revenue, of course, from the fare box and, of course, from sales tax uh, revenue. And, of course, we have our, our formula from FTA. And one of the opportunities we have is to really look at our incoming revenue streams generated by fares and advertising, etc. My, my counterparts across the country or the globe will be shocked to hear this, but New Orleans, the RTA, we have not adjusted our transit fare since 1999. And, and of course, what you know, it, it cost to ride a bus? <laughs> a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk costs a little bit more now than they did yeah, yeah. in 1999. And so this year will be, and I'm copying this from my former boss at LA Metro, we're going to conduct a, a, a right-sizing fare study to okay. figure out how can we maintain affordability for New Orleanians. Right now, our monthly pass is about $55. Okay. So how can we maintain that affordability? But at the same time, especially when we recover from COVID, how do we capitalize on our streetcar mode? Our streetcar functions both as a local option for New Orleanians, but the tourists just jam that thing on the weekend. Yeah. And it's $1.25 to take the very best tour of New Orleans you could possibly take. So I think we have some opportunities to develop a fair structure that, that's not regressive, for folks, or we can take care of our low-income population, but at the same time, meet some of our current costs, and then generating through advertising, et cetera, as well. So we'll be taking a very close look at that in 2021. That's smart. How how has COVID affected you down there, Alex? How has it affected the service and everything, and where are you at now in January of 2021? You know, and, and I think my colleagues across the country will agree, we were hit very hard. Our ridership initially plunged on, on all of our modes by about 90% from March through May. And of course, that affected incoming revenue as well. Sales tax, because New Orleans is a largely tourist-driven service economy, so sales tax plunged. And so our income from a number of different sources just plunged instantly. Ridership is slowly beginning to, to come back. We're at about, about 40% of our ridership, um, pre-COVID ridership on the bus system and about 35% of our ridership on streetcar as as of last month. The ferry operation is still operating at less than half its normal capacity. And so I think as there's more confidence in the vaccine, I think as we uh, truly begin to emerge from COVID, uh, ridership will recover. But I'm in the same position that my colleagues are across the country. And we're very fortunate for CARES Act funding. We're now of course, about to receive our second round. And then, of course, there will be more, hopefully, to come down the road that will keep us operating. Because in addition to maintaining mobility, I think transit agencies, when the economies do recover, we already have to be ready to go. We can't take time to ramp up. When folks are ready to go back to work, get out there and shop, 
and they want to use transit, we've got to be ready. And so that will happen. Yeah, I'm predicting there's a pent-up demand, right? And so everybody's kind of been in a lockdown mode for nine months now, and hopefully in a couple, another two or three months, by the springtime, I mean, you could be exploding with people. Yeah. Yes, especially given the tourist nature of the town as well. Right, exactly, so, man. I'm hoping to come down and see you guys. Yeah. I love New Orleans. Yeah. And so we've been very fortunate that we have not had to lay off staff or furlough staff. The CARES Act funding has helped us to maintain employment. And as I mean, laying off a mechanic is easy to do, but hiring a mechanic is not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Laying off a bus operator, easy to do, but yeah. hiring and training one, yeah. very difficult. Ten weeks of training and then... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. You don't want to let those people go. Yeah, so we've been able to maintain employment um, awesome. throughout this crisis, and I'm hoping that that continues. What other changes are going on down there in New Orleans for your transit system? Right now, very big interest in investing in infrastructure and new modes of transit. And so in the coming year, we're looking to build the city's first centralized transit hub. Right now, we've got some legacy hubs, the old Union Station, which is now entirely inner city rail. And we have some a few uh, depots around the city, but we don't have a central location where our modes come together. And so we're looking to finalize a location and, of course, finalize design for a centralized bus hub. We're looking at new modes. Right now, for anyone who's traveled to New Orleans, you know, the airport and downtown aren't really closely close in proximity. And so we're looking at new public transit options, BRT to the airport. We're studying right now, as well as eventual light rail connections to the airport and surrounding communities as well. And so very excited about that to have a lot of energy on investing in the infrastructure and then beginning to introduce new modes of transit to to the region. That's good. What about contracting? I mean, you had a contractor there for a long time and a lot of agencies are looking to contract more as a way to save money, but you guys did it with a different route. Yeah, we did. We did. And and primarily two main reasons. COVID really changed our our budget and our financial uh, picture. And so I needed to look at immediate ways to save money while preserving employment and making sure that we could keep our staff employed. And then the other aspect of it was we really needed to develop an internal, talented management team that's talented both on the technical skills of leading an organization and, of course, the day-to-day management functions that go along with it. What I found in the contract environment is that We had locally employed bus operators, streetcar operators, but that expertise to manage and plan wasn't really local. So I think as New Orleans continues to prosper, not just recover after Katrina, but prosper, we really need to develop a deep transit talent pool here in New Orleans. And so those two factors are really what drove that decision. And our partner, we worked with um, Transdev for quite some time, and I have to give them credit. Transdev, had it not been for Transdev, New Orleans would not have recovered. The transit operation would not have recovered from Katrina. There was great leadership in place here, and they did a very good job to help put the system back together. We're now at that stage now where we need to take that further and start to invest in local talent. Interesting. So we've talked about the system itself, the current structure, and, and maybe some new, new approaches like microtransit that you're looking at. Anything else new on the horizon for your agency? I think that new links, I talked a little bit about that. That is our 
study to uh, make the bus operation more efficient. We're looking to implement the beginnings of that plan this year and to improve the mobility options. And also, I want to come back to just the focus on equity. And yeah, um, we know that in transit communities across the country, there's been criticism from certain communities about either not being included or being left out or not being served equitably. And I have the unique honor of leading a transit agency where literally my grandparents could not ride the streetcar during certain times of day because of laws related to segregation. The ferry terminal that we operate from was a point of embarkation for slaves coming from West Africa. And so I take that very, very personal. And so we have the opportunity now to build a transit system and a network that serves all communities equally. And so we're going to pay very, very close attention to that this year and make sure that we can deliver on the expectations of our ridership. I love that because some of the shift in the thinking paradigm of transit over the last five years has been really about efficiency, right? Making the routes as efficient as possible, making sure that you've got so many passengers per hour from each stop or not stopping there. But that doesn't always uh, handle the coverage aspect, which means you have to make sure that you're covering all of your communities because some people, I think you know this, but I've spent a big part of my career on paratransit and as, as well as making sure that everyone gets the mobility they need. Grandma may be out at the end of a route and maybe she's, um, you know, there's not enough service to have the service go out to her, but she doesn't have any other options. And so exactly. we've, got to, we've got to make sure that transit, I'm with you, Alex, yeah. is providing equitable service for everyone, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And on a real basic level, we're looking at, are we connecting every neighborhood to employment opportunities? Are we connecting every neighborhood to educational opportunities or to take part in the art culture in New Orleans? And so we're looking at it at exactly that. I mean, we have examples here where we have some communities that cannot access a bus stop unless they walk three quarters to a mile. So we have to change that. So we've had a great partner in the Regional Planning Commission, and then the management team that we're developing here at the RTA will be focused on that, that equitable service as well. And I grew up riding transit. My dad was a Marine, and we had six kids in the family and one car. So we drove the car. It wasn't yeah. me. It was, it was my dad. And so I, I needed transit to get to work, to get to school. And without that option, I, I, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair. Transit was very critical to me being able to live the American dream. One of the really interesting statistics that I remember when I was CEO of Baltimore's MTA, a study was done that showed that at the top 50 cities in America, how hard was it to climb out of poverty in each of those cities? And unfortunately, Baltimore was worse when I was there. It was 50th. And so uh, one of the key attributes of a, par- of a transit system, it was said in the study, was the ability for people to get to work within 30 minutes or so from where they live. And so the routes needed to be readjusted to make sure that people could use transit kind of as an economic development tool, right? To lift all, when, when the all boats rise, right? When the water comes in, is that what you're kind of thinking about? Is absolutely. Using the transit system yeah. to help recover? Yes, absolutely. And we've had some critics outside of the organization that have actually pushed us in this direction sooner rather than later. I'm, I'm thinking of a community organization that we work with called Ride, Ride New Orleans. Their focus has been, hey, RTA, how are you connecting folks to job opportunities? How are you right. connecting to educational opportunities? And so we've embraced that. And if there's one thing that I want to leave as a legacy here is that we operated service on time and we took folks to where they wanted to go when they needed to get there. And right. The simple as that. 
So I think that's maybe, and I, I think you and I would agree on this, maybe that's one of the great silver linings of this dark cloud of COVID is that it's giving all of us in the transit industry an opportunity to reevaluate what the core purposes are of public transportation and public mobility. It may not just be the, the morning and afternoon peak service to get the bulk of the riders in and out of the urban central business districts. Perhaps it's more about creating an equitable mobility solution for all of our residents and also helping the people who work the night shift, right, get to their jobs at the hospital. And just, just this, this a new approach to, to public transportation that part of our rationale for existing, I mean, the measurements that we use, right, that have always been ridership driven, right? So I've, I'm a former politician, and I, I remember working for politicians, and the only number they cared about was how many people are on that bus. That may not be the only statistic that's important anymore. Would you agree? I would totally agree. And, yeah. and to your point, COVID has changed the rules. And so I think transit agencies are doing everything we can to communicate to the public that it's safe to ride. We're cleaning our equipment. We're making sure we're in a safe environment. But the travel habits have changed. Yes. And you don't have folks that are living 50 miles away from work, commuting into work via commuter rail to go sit down at the computer when they can do that at home. And so things have changed. The, the, the environment has changed. But at the same time, there's a core population that needs transit to access critical opportunities to jobs and education. So you're right. I think we're going to be evolving. It's probably yeah. the best way to say it. Evolving yeah, yeah. to meet the, the post-COVID transit need. And I, I'm thinking that hopefully the folks in Washington have gotten the message, right? So even when the politician stood up and said, nobody ride transit. It's a Petri dish for germs. Only ride if you're an essential worker. Well, what kind of message does that send, first off? But anyway, but even when they said that, in most cities, ridership was still 30 to 50%, meaning that the wheels in the bus that go round and round are also the wheels on our economy that make our essential workers, although I don't really like that work title because I think everybody's essential, but we know what we mean by that, right? The people that are making the economy turn, essentially, they are the ones riding public transit. And so hopefully Washington's gotten the message and they'll see going forward, we need to do a little bit more than just these competitive operating grants, right? We need to have a base level of funding for operating dollars for public transit across America that is commensurate with our role in society. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And, and for us to kind of flip the paradigm a little bit, to look at truly as transit as a service. Yes. <laughs> it is a service. And I'll use the example of the hospital. If you need to go to the emergency room, it's there. No matter what time yeah. of day, it's there. That's right. That's and, right. And I think transit needs to have the same level of, of flexibility to make sure that we're always prepared to meet the demand. Now, obviously, we have to plan. We have to be yeah. smart about how we use our budgets. But mobility is absolutely, I think, a right that yes. folks need to be able to transit through their communities and have access to everything that someone with a car would have. Same right. And all the investments and support financially that the governments give to highways and roads, they need to think about that a little bit more equitably with transit. Yeah, exactly. And then I think and within our own community, how can we be the most effective stewards of the taxpayer's dollar as well? And so I think that a combination of shifts will actually help us deliver the type of service that, that our riders actually uh, want. And, and that study that you're doing is helping to guide you in that area? Yeah, we're going to commence, you know, that that fair right-sizing study. And yeah. of course, within, of course, with new links with our actual service, we'll be looking to implement that here in uh, this year. So we are on our way. That's awesome. We have a, a long road to go, but we are we are getting started. Well, I think they got the right guy in the captain's chair, Alex. 
Uh, hey, I, I appreciate it. I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world that I get to serve the community that I grew up in and so far having a good time in New Orleans. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today on Trans and Unplugged. You know, we're heard in 99 countries around the world, and New Orleans has a special place. If anyone's ever visited there, they always remember the time there. It's such a special city, and you have, a, like you said, a wonderful opportunity to lead the transit system there. It's, it's great. Paul, thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on your show, and I'm, I'm a big fan, so keep up all the great work, man. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.